Welcome to another episode of the Reimagine Customer Experiences and Financial Services podcast. I'm your host, Mario Kiriakou, and this is the show where I interview industry experts who share their insights and experience in their part in building, delivering, and managing great digital customer experiences in financial services. On today's episode, we're joined by Doug Morris, Strategy Director at Ratio FS, as we explore the topic of optimizing digital experiences in financial services. Join us as we explore the role of optimization in driving a continual flow of improvement for your customers, its role in allowing you to stay ahead of your competitors in the race to deliver a better overall customer experience, the importance of ongoing investment, the role of personalization, how to measure the business success of any optimization initiative, and how to structure your team and plan your roadmap for the year ahead. Welcome, Doug. Glad to have you on today's episode. Thanks, Mario. Glad to be here, obviously. Let's let's dive straight in. Um, let's, let's let's try and set the agenda for today's um, episode on you know website optimization in in, in banking and financial services. So let's, let's tackle optimization because it's, it's obviously a very much a broad term. So from your experience, you know what is optimization? Yeah, it's probably a great place to start. Um, being aligned on the definition of what we're even going to discuss, um, and it is quite a broad topic. But if I had to narrow it down to one sentence, I'd say it's the process of using research and experimentation to improve the performance of your website against a given KPI, which could be revenue or it could be leads or something else. So when we're looking at optimization like that, it can take the form of incremental improvements. And by that, I mean, would mean modifying a headline or perhaps an image. And it can also take the form of innovative improvements, like redesigning an entire page, maybe implementing an integration with some of the platform and things of that nature. At its best, optimization combines those smaller incremental steps as well as the larger leaps. So when you're looking at designing an optimization roadmap, which we'll get into, you're looking, getting to later on, um, you're looking at leveraging the smaller changes to reduce the risk of the bolder changes by validating some of the ideas and hypotheses behind the more radical moves. I guess just finally, our view on optimization is that it should be focused on customer experience improvement. What we've seen is that focusing on CX means a win-win for both the company and the consumer. And by that, I mean, um, we're not just getting wins in terms of conversions, but also brand equity, customer retention, customer lifetime value, et cetera. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I mean, I think sometimes I think when I, when whenever I I suppose I speak to people about optimization, I suppose there's a uh, a misconception that optimization is purely about you know A/B testing, so just, just different testing scenarios and testing wins and testing failures. But it sounds like, in your opinion, it's 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 a more I suppose holistic view of the different techniques involved in optimizing a you know, a bank or insurer's insurer's website. I mean, have I? My takeaway is that, is that is that your correct assessment? Yeah, totally. I think um, optimization, even more than a tactic, is a way of working and a way of viewing the world as a marketer. And that is, um, we need we need to do two things. We need to make sure that when we're making a decision, we have some research and evidence behind it, and we need to try and understand if we made the decision correctly. And sometimes that second part can take the form of an A/B test, um, but other times it could take the form of a usability test. Um, or some other form of user research, like putting a prototype in front of some potential customers um, before you actually develop something. So there's a lot of different ways to skin the cat, um, but 
optimization as a philosophy involves those two elements, um, evidence and testing of some, of some sort of form. Okay. Okay. I mean, I want to keep today's episode, you know, super practical for everyone listening in. I mean, I suppose from your perspective, you know, what are the benefits for optimization within you know, financial services specifically? Yeah, um, good question. I, some of the benefits are probably pretty self-explanatory, so it won't um, do us too much time to dwell on them. Um, like if you are doing optimization and adopting it as a mindset, hopefully you are going to actually get more of um, whatever that that business objective is that you're trying to achieve, be it, as I said, revenue or leads and so on. But there are some other benefits of, um, of optimization, particularly in FS, that I think are not as well considered. Um, so a big one is that when we're testing our ideas rather than just launching them, there's an element of, of risk mitigation that we're building in. Um, so if we have a new feature launch, like a new application process for an online current account, um, we can't always assume that the way that we've built that um, is going to be correct and or is going to be the most effective way that we could build it. And the only way we can understand if we made the decision um, well or not in the first place is to use some method, some form of experimentation to, um, to prove our decision right or wrong. Um, because ultimately, we could actually be reducing something that's detrimental to conversions um, and, op- and ex- using experimentation kind of protects us from those, those risks. Um, booking.com as a non-FS example, just because they're such a, um, a leading light in the area of experimentation, if we could say that, um, launch an experiment for every single enhancement, tiny bug fix or patch that they release on their website. Um, now, that's certainly not going to be plausible for every organization, but certainly we could be looking at how we can test um, the major things that we're doing, the major new proposition launches and so on. Um, so that's that's one side of the coin, which is the risk mitigation. Um, and I do recognize that um, in some organizations, that can be a pretty tough thing culturally. It means you could put your neck on the line by launching things with tests and really proven, proving that you did or didn't have good ideas. But um, unquestionably, it does lead to the best business outcomes if that's a, if that's a culture you can get embedded. Um, in terms of other elements of a culture that optimization can can um, effect. Um, one is that doing it well requires a culture of customer centricity to be adopted. So you really need to put yourselves in the shoes of the users you want to influence um, rather than just thinking as a marketer. And that um, starts to influence how you think um, in other ways about the different marketing you're doing as well. Um, ideally, obviously, if you're focused with your tests on improving the customer experience, then you will literally also get some customer experience improvements. Um, so more stickiness, greater share of wallet and so on. Um, and of course, you get some insights from experimentation that you can use across other channels as well. So if you find that um, describing a proposition in a certain way works really well on the website, uh, odds are that it works really well in um, in paid social or paid search as well. So if you can get that learning um, pushed out across the organization, then a win in one place can lead to um, benefits in another place, so to speak. Um, and so, yeah, like while the, the meat and bones is that the expression of optimization often literally does involve A-B testing on your website. Um, there's a lot of associated benefits outside of the win from that test alone. Okay. I mean, I suppose you know, lots of um, existing financial service players you know, are most likely invested in one way or another in, in optimization, whether it's a specific optimization program or you know, discrete pieces of work focusing on you know, UX or research. You know, I'd imagine you know, lots of players are investing it to a, you know to a lesser or greater extent but i mean 
in terms of the scope and level of investment, you know, wh- why is it important to, I suppose, you know, dial up, potentially dial up the level of investment in optimization programs in, you know, for, for banks or insurers? Yeah. Um, well, the, the very practical and fundamental answer is that um, of all of the analytics that I've looked at for all of the financial services organizations that we've worked with, um, there's often a lot of money to be made, if you want to look at it that way, because websites just are not performing that well. Um, and optimization is a pretty surefire way to um, to make some of that money and, and prove that you've made it. Um, so that's, again, like the previous question, kind of the obvious answer as to why it's important to invest, because there's a, there's a return on investment to be made. But um, there's, again, lots of kind of secondary or subsidiary benefits. Um, so we know, for example, that the people, the customers or potential customers that are using your website are receiving fantastic digital experiences in all sorts of other verticals that they're interacting with, whether that be um, retail at Amazon um, or something else. Um, and when they interact with your brand, they're making a comparison between those um, experiences that they're receiving in other verticals and what they're receiving from you as an organization. We know as well that um, lots of kind of competitive threat is emerging from fintech companies. Uh, and one of the hallmarks of what those challenges are, are bringing to the market is um, is solving a problem really, really, really well for customers. Um, so inherent in that is, is a pretty amazing customer experience. And in this context, um, Rebuilding your website once every five years with a slightly better front end is just not is not going to cut it anymore. Um, the world is changing too fast. The needs of your customers are changing too fast as well. You need an approach to digital that has more agility, that has your customers' needs at the heart. You need one which engenders that culture of innovation in your teams. And in our view, that approach to working is optimization. Okay, that's interesting. I mean... I mean, you, you mentioned the comparison between you know, financial services and, you know, I suppose, more previously retail players like you know, Booking.com, Amazon's of this world. Uh, in terms of you know, optimization, you should do it because you're potentially leaving money behind by not you know, optimizing journeys. I suppose isn't, isn't one of the challenges for, say, a bank that it's not necessarily as easy to, I suppose, track the value that you're creating? Because that's just wondering, you know, how easy is it to? I mean, with a, with a, you know, Amazon, it's it's you know you bought an item, you added something to a basket. With you know a bank, it's it might be slightly more vague, apart from you know perhaps harder KPIs like you know sign up for a mortgage or you know open up a bank account. I mean, I suppose how would you look to physically you know optimize the site for you know for, for revenue generation for hard KPIs, you know moving beyond just you know you know, soft, you know, optimizing for soft, you know, fluffy metrics? Yeah. Um, it's a it's a pretty fundamental part of the optimization process is making that decision around um, what we should optimize for. Um, and I guess, firstly, I can give you the, the idealized version of what's possible, which is that you know exactly what success for your website looks like, how it's meant to be generating or creating value for your organization you know how that can be measured in the form of KPIs and it can actually be done. And you know how success against those KPIs supports the overall business strategy. So normally being able to answer those questions and kind of documenting the result um, takes the form of a measurement framework or a measurement plan. Uh, If you're curious, you can Google it. Um, There are heaps of example frameworks out there. 
Um, taking it back a step around this measurement framework before we move forward and look at the application of it, I do agree that um, sometimes there is uncertainty about those KPIs. Um, we may not be able to measure the KPI exactly as we would like. It could be that we're a B2B organization where lots of the sales process happens offline and we just can't connect the dots well enough to understand the outcome of a lead that we've generated um, in, order to rev in order to measure revenue, not just leads, for example. Um, but we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We shouldn't let perfection be the enemy of good. Um, we shouldn't assume we can measure nothing just because we can't measure what we'd really love to if the dots were perfectly connected. And we should look, for example, at what set of assumptions we can put in place about um, the outcome of the leads that we can measure. So if we know there are 100 leads that we generated, how many of those, um, what percentage of those can we put an assumption for that would um, actually be contacted by a salesperson? What percentage of those would convert? Um, what would the average value of those conversions be and so on? Um, and so even without knowing the world perfectly, having a single customer view living the dream <laughs> as marketers, um, we can still have some idea of, of what these KPIs um, are doing and what impact they're having. Um, we should also think about with those KPIs, making sure that they're covering all parts of our marketing funnel so that we are evaluating all different parts of the customer experience. Um, that means not just having the hard KPI um, right down the funnel, which could be the, the lead submission or the product application, but also having higher funnel KPIs that are measuring how well your homepage is introducing users to your brand, how well your category pages are helping people narrow down uh, their product selection and so on. Um, if you can measure all of that and you can set targets around each of those KPIs and know roughly how you're doing versus how well you're doing, um, and ideally, even if you can nominate important customer segmentation that sits around those KPIs, that is, you're not just interested in um, applications, you're interested in applications of this specific product from this um, specific audience segment, and if you can measure that, then you've already got some initial directions as well um, that could be fruitful to pursue for, with further research about, um, about where you should be focusing your optimization efforts, because you'll know that um, KPI X performs at 99% and KPI Y performs at 20% and therefore KPI Y um, that performs at 20% probably will get more return on investment from focusing efforts and improving that. So um, having that measurement framework in place so that you have good KPIs clearly into your business strategy, um, putting assumptions in place where you need to, putting targets in place, um, all of that is going to give you a great head start on deciding where and how to optimize your, um, your website. Okay, I'd like to dig a little bit deeper, actually, into the um, I suppose the, the building blocks of you know building out um, uh, an optimization program. But we'll take a quick step back because um, uh, you know the, the the concept of testing versus personalization. Because if you look at um, you know like eConsultancy publish a great report every year on you know the financial services landscape, and you know it always analyzes you know, where um, marketers in you know, FS are looking to invest in year ahead. And personalization is something which is always you know, up there, you know, either first or second spot. But you know, testing and personalization you know, seem the same, but also dissimilar. I mean, from your perspective, you know, how, how do you see those two techniques playing out? Yeah. Or working together or competing? Well, um, one way to view it is that 
personalization is one of a bunch of different tools that you have in an optimization toolbox. So personalization is kind of a, a subset of what, what we can be doing when we are optimizing a website. Um, and the other tools, like I mentioned, could be um, A-B tests, multivariate tests, um, usability testing, all that sort of stuff. So we have this toolbox of, of tools and undoubtedly um, personalization is or can be a great tool to solve some problems. But what we need to evaluate is what problems are in front of us, which are the most pressing ones for us to solve, and is personalization um, the right fit for that particular problem. So we need to be evaluating what we're trying to achieve, um, basically, and make a decision about the easiest and most effective way to achieve that. As most marketers listening to this podcast would understand, uh, website personalization is not an easy thing to do well. It's an incredibly hard thing to do well, particularly if you're operating in an environment like financial services where um, your data is in massive silos that will take three years to access. Um, that's not to say that you shouldn't be trying to do that, just to say that um, website personalization is not the, the tool in your toolbox that is the easiest to execute on. What we generally see is that there are often way more fundamental problems with your website customer experience. Um, and if you resolve those, we think you'll typically get a larger and faster return on investment. So that is things like your navigation is not functioning effectively or your product pages don't describe your proposition in a particularly compelling way by not referring to the value that it delivers, but referring only to the features or benefits. Um, all those sorts of things are improvements that you can make for 100% of your visitors without um, this additional investment in um, in um, in connecting technology and um, and working out how the segmentation should work and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's not to say that personalization isn't something you should do. It does. It is effective. It does improve the customer experience, but just make sure that you are um, not prioritizing it because it's a sexy thing to do, but because it is actually the thing that will deliver you the most value. I mean, in your experience, you know, I suppose, have you see where do you see the value for something like personalization in, you know, for example, in a, it's a you know, a bank's digital experience, you know, add, add in value, as you say, right, you, know, you shouldn't prioritize it just because you feel it's the sexy trend for, for the year and you just want to try it out. But obviously, if you have a genuine use case, um, I suppose, I'm just curious, really, where would you see the, a genuine use case for, say, someone like a bank? Yeah, um, well, I think there's two ways to look at that, um, which is kind of the, the two sometimes um, diametrically opposed views that you can take about optimization, uh, which is one, how can we use personalization to achieve more of what the business wants? Um, and two, how can we achieve personalization to achieve more of what the customer wants? Uh, sometimes those are opposed. Sometimes they can um, work in synchronicity, which is great. Um, from a from a bank perspective, um, if you can actually successfully join up those dots, you've got a customer data platform or something, and you can target people on your website based on uh, what you know about them in your CRM or offline. Um, you can use the website as yet another channel to um, look at like the next best offer um, for that customer. Work out what product. Um, they are going to be most likely to take next review and modify the customer experience to promote more of that product. Um, so that's kind of a, um, yeah, more of a bank out way to look at it. Um, and initiatives like that can be successful. Obviously, you're already leveraging that understanding you have of the customer in other channels, like sending them direct mail and things of that nature. Um, as I mentioned, we do at Ratio um, believe in the power of um, improving the customer experience 
in order to um, in order to deliver an equivalent return. Um, and there are certainly applications of personalization along those lines that are more focused on making customers happier and removing some barriers and friction um, around their visit. So if we can make language more relevant to them, um, if we can help them get to content that we know they're looking for, um, if we can do things of that nature, um, we probably will also get a commercial return, um, but we'll also improve the customer experience. So lots of applications um, of, of personalization in FS, and those are just two ways to, um, to look at it. Okay. I mean, obviously, financial services probably, you know, probably, if not, one of the most highly regulated um, industries around, certainly more regulated in, in say, you know, uh, perhaps more transactional retail type businesses. I suppose in such a highly regulated sector, how do you, how would you suggest that um, uh, client side marketers, you know, move fast, you know, bearing in mind that they, they, they perhaps have a lot of governance hurdles they have to um, leap over to, you know, enact change and, and ideas? Yeah, well, uh, it's, it's not easy, that's for sure, <laughs> but it can be done. Um, I think an important thing to unpack or to separate and understand is that just because there are things that we must do, um, which, which certainly we're not suggesting you set aside, um, like any governance, regulatory requirements, putting through, putting new propositions through um, compliance or ad control or whatever else, it doesn't mean that the way those things that must be done happen um, has to be the same way it's always happened, um, which has been with two-week bottlenecks um, on each step of the process. So if we need sign-off from a particular person in compliance on a regular basis, uh, and we know that that's a bottleneck, can we look at how we can bring that person into what we're doing to make it more efficient, uh, the process more efficient, that is? So could we look at giving them advance notice of what's coming? Could we allocate a set amount of time on a specific day of month with them to consider whatever we're trying to get them to assess? Could we get that person into the process completely and actually make them a part of the project team so they're more intimately involved in what's happening? Um, not all of these things may be possible in every organization, obviously. But, um, but yeah, let's not just accept that because things have to happen, that they have to take as long as, um, as they always have. Um, and it's also important, as we will discuss a bit later, to try and really get a grip on how the different steps of your optimization process are performing. So if you know where things are taking a very long time to get it live um, versus, versus where things are already working pretty efficiently, you'll already know where to invest some time um, to try and up, up the speed of the way that your team is operating. Okay. I mean, if someone, obviously, um, if someone's listening and, and they're looking to design and build out their optimization program, obviously part of that is the team who are going to execute on, on, on the program's initiatives. What would you be your recommendation for how that team should be structured? So um, done at its best, optimization is going to require quite a quite a few different disciplines to be brought together. Just as some quick examples, we need um, analytics and user research people who can kind of help us understand what's happening in the world as it is today. We need some form of strategist who will help weave those insights um, into a plan of action that will that will set out where in the where we're heading in the future and why and how, and then we need designers, copywriting, 
front-end development, quality assurance, and so on, to actually bring, if, if you will, that light, that new world to life in, in some form of an experiment. Uh, I can say that you're not going to get the best out of your program without having a team that covers all of those disciplines. If you don't have a front-end developer, um, it's going to limit how ambitious you can be in, in the experiment design. Um, you, If you don't have user research, then the solutions that you're kind of putting together in an experiment are going to be less relevant to users' problems inherently because you know less about those problems that you're trying to solve. I, I would suggest making a sober assessment of which of those skills you have and which you need to acquire, um, obviously either through agency support, contractors, or bringing in other full-time employees to your team. It's obviously not to say that you shouldn't try and start small with the team that you do have in place at the moment. But um, yeah, like I alluded to, most organizations, FS organizations that I've um, looked at the data for um, have big potential opportunities, um, financial opportunities relating to optimization. And so there is an opportunity cost if you wait, um, which is all of those website visitors that won't convert um, while you're doing things small and not trying to be ambitious. Okay. I mean, I'm quite curious to see how, to understand, you know, how how you physically build out the optimization program and the ideas that you could, because obviously the optimization program, as you implied, is not just testing. There's, you know, a bunch of different elements which make up um, this, um, you know, go into this umbrella term optimization. But the, the physical ideas that they're gonna they're gonna fill up the the program that you, the team will be working on over the next you know you know, month, you know coming months, you know, how how do you structure that? You know how do you how do you set it up so the team come up with the right ideas? And I hopefully obviously the right ideas benchmark something that's going to drive you know some sort of real measurable value. Yeah, well. Um... What, what is often happening, unfortunately, is that we, um, as marketers, as marketing leaders sometimes, have an idea about how the website should change. Um, and that idea is what forms the basis of the change that's made. The change is made without actually being tested. Um, and, and so in other words, uh, most organizations have not actually adopted this, um, this process of experimentation. Um, the right way to do it, to come up with those ideas, um, is to use evidence, to use data, research, maybe as a finishing detail, uh, as a cherry on top of that cake, you'd use your professional judgment. But um, as rarely as possible, should we rely, rely upon just our own opinions, what competitors are doing and things of that nature. And here's why. The largest return on investment you can possibly receive from optimization will come from making the largest improvements in experience for the largest segments of your audience. That kind of makes intuitive sense. If we have a page converting at 99% seen by nine visitors a year, we're probably not going to extract too much value from focusing on improving it. We need to find pages um, that are the exact opposite, that have low conversion rates that are seen by a huge number of visitors. Well, how do you know which page or proposition will actually touch most of your audience? It's not going to be, you're not going to determine that accurately using your own opinion. That's what you use analytics for. You load up the pages report and look at how much traffic each of your pages get and, um, and find the ones that are seen by a large number of, of users. How do you know which of those pages that now you know have large audience actually perform the poorest against your KPIs? 
again, you don't um, make a guess or a judgment call about how those pages perform. You use analytics. So at this stage, we know what page we want to improve. Um, let's say it's a product page and that five out of every 100 visitors to that page is, is doing what we want, which is completing the, um, the inquiry form. The question obviously is with only five out of 100 visitors uh, converting, how do we convert as many of the other 95 as possible? Well, what I can tell you from um, significant past experience is that you will have the least success in converting more of those 95 visitors if what you're doing is using your own judgment to determine what changes to their experience are required. Instead, we need to get as close as possible to who the user is. We need to know what are they looking for? What are they struggling with? What frustrates them? Who is in their consideration set? What other companies are they comparing you against um, in their search for the right product to, to solve their problem? And this user research process is what allows us to get inside of the heads of users um, and means our test hypotheses solve actual problems that users are having rather than merely those that we presume to exist. So pretty fundamentally, um, in order to get those good ideas, you need evidence from, from research, both quantitative and qualitative, and that's yeah absolutely foundational to having a successful optimization program. I would just make one final point, which is that um, we do still need to solicit ideas, but uh, rather than coming as as an idea from the um, the highest paid person in the team, it should come from a collaborative process to identify solutions to real problems that have been identified. Um, and obviously, we also need to acknowledge that project stakeholders like their voices being heard and feeling like they've been heard. Um, and that obviously plays a role in how engaged and bought in they feel to what to what you're doing. So with a large um, a large team, a large project team crossing multiple actual teams and silos, um, it does pay a benefit to um, to make people feel included and take account of their ideas. Um, so do solicit feedback and ideas. Just make sure it's actually supported by evidence. I suppose. I suppose obviously the goal is is to have a structured plan that is pushing you know a business in the direction that they want to be going. So in terms, of, I suppose, of building out that that roadmap, and obviously you have all the ideas that go into it. So I suppose two questions: one, yeah, what would be your approach to building out? I suppose that structured you know roadmap you know slash plan for as the year ahead, and you know whether that is the way to go. And B, could you just I suppose not to put you on the spot, but uh, could you just flesh out perhaps, you know, from a, say, taking a, say from a bank's perspective, you know, what would that roadmap look like for say, like a, you know, a fictional bank that you perhaps you've worked with in the past? Just, just curious to see whether it's important and if it is important, how would you do it? And obviously, how would you map that to say, you know, a bank or an insurance company looking to um, uh, do something similar? Yeah, well, I can start with the um, what the the process is that we should go through, and then we can um, we can talk about a practical application of that. Um, I mean, I guess, like, as it would be pretty evident from, um, from what I said in the, in the last steps, when we've done a bunch of research, um, we now have a bunch of ideas, we have a bunch of hypotheses, and we need to work out um, which of those we should actually act on. So a couple of factors in working out which ones we act on should be um, what we've already looked at, which is how much traffic the journey we want to change receives, and um, and do we have some expectation of the potential impact of the activity? Do we think it's going to it's a small change that will have a small impact on the conversion rate of that journey, or it's quite transformational? Um, and when we have ranked each of our ideas on those two factors, um, we also need to look at um, 
some sort of weighting based on potential effort to get the idea live. So we're going to have things that require a lot of development, um, things that require a lot of sign-off from a lot of different people. Um, and if that's the case, um, the idea might get a slightly worse score because it's going to be harder, more time-consuming to ex execute. Um, and finally, one thing that's not considered that much, but we think it should be, is to make some sort of assessment of the level of certainty that we have in a given idea. So the more assumptions that we have in the, the premise behind the hypothesis, the less certainty we should have. Um, and the weighting activities based on this uncertainty is quite helpful for larger activities that we know less about. So um, like we discussed, rebuilding an entire product application journey for a current account, for example. Um, if we have some ideas about how that should happen, but um, we have a lot of assumptions that, that sit behind those ideas, then um, there's a lot of uncertainty about whether the activity would actually work. And that associated with the level of risk from the amount of investment required to execute means it might not be one that we um, actually that we actually try and achieve until such time as we've managed to validate the ideas with some um, the assumptions with some um, other smaller tests. Um, and yeah, so we should also be trying to understand when we have bigger experiments that are more risky, that um, have less certainty, less certainty, if there are smaller experiments that we could do earlier on, um, that we could call them um, dependencies, I guess, that will validate some of those assumptions and work out whether we should actually take the effort to um, to execute on larger ideas. Now, basically, um, that, that prioritized list, once you've decided how much weighting you want to give to it, to each of those factors is going to form the basis for your roadmap. Um, you have some smaller things that are higher priority that you should be doing sooner probably, and then some um, some larger items that can be held off until you have more certainty around them. One thing I would say is to plan with less specificity <laughs> the further away you are from, um, from a time period. And by that, I mean, um, don't try and imagine the specific tests that you want to be launching 12 months from now because whatever ideas you come up with um, are almost certainly not going to be relevant. I mean, just look at what was happening 12 months ago today. I doubt um, we had much of an idea of what we'd be doing as marketers um, uh, 12 months ago right now. Um, so instead, you should be trying to create a plan that reflects that lack of certainty um, by being less specific about the execution of initiatives that are, that are further away. Um, and obviously, revisit that strategy frequently with your team based on the learnings that come out of your program. Um, so... That, that process of smaller experiments leading to larger um, larger experiments, we've applied, for example, when it comes to the, um, well, actually the, the current account um, page of a bank. Um, and that is we had a lot of smaller ideas um, about how we could improve the, um, the proposition, whether it be the hierarchy of the content that's sitting on the page, whether it be um, how effective the copywriting was around the um, features and benefits, um, whether it be how confusing the the application process was um, or, or how poorly articulated it was. Um, and we could have gone through that process of, um, so we could have launched all of those changes as one large experiment, a complete overhaul and page redesign all at once. Um, but that would represent a lot of risk, um, not least of which because of how, how long it would take and how much resources, but also because whether the experiment won or loss, um, we wouldn't really understand 
we wouldn't really understand um, why that was the case um, without testing things individually. So instead, we we broke those things out. We looked at the um, you know the hero area of the current account page first, um, and whether the um, the copywriting there could be um, could be simplified um, and made clearer and better articulate what the proposition is, and so on and so forth with um, all the other smaller hypotheses that we had that we built into the um, built into the roadmap. And then once we'd executed on many of the smaller ones, we looked at the larger redesign launch. We knew more about um, what, what might or might not work um, from our testing. I'd like to finish with one um, one with well, the final question, really, in, in terms of you know the measurement of success of a pro of any optimization program or initiative. Because obviously, there are competing um, uh, possibilities for um, you know uh, for a you know, financial service organisation to invest you know their time, you know, money and resources, and ultimately they want to invest in areas of the business which they think are going to generate you know value and return. So. For an optimization program, you know how how would you approach you know measuring the success of the program, you know, and and the failure really. Um, obviously, you know, there's, a, there's probably a lot of good takeaways to be taken from some of the mistakes being made. But obviously, people invest their, their time and money to hopefully make uh, you know a good return for for their for their you know bank. You know, what would be your approach to measuring the success of you know any sort of program well, you know the roadmap you measured before you know how would you define whether that roadmap the end of 12 month was was successful yeah um another um unfortunately quite complicated thing to do um to do perfectly well but this type of program level measurement is is genuinely what separates the good when it comes to optimization from from the best um a few different things Firstly, I would just say that there is a temptation um, by optimization people when they're looking at the results of a test, um, which might have happened over two weeks in February, for argument's sake. There's a there's a temptation to extrapolate the win that you received there in that two weeks, like the uplifting conversion rate, apply that to the rest of the year, and assume that um, assume that the that the, that the uplift that you saw would translate um, uniformly to the rest of the year and that therefore you could um, have an annual projection of the impact of that test and adding up all of your winning tests, an annual projection of the um, the impact of the optimization program as a whole. I would just I, um, not, not say not to do that, but just to acknowledge that there is some level of uncertainty. Uh, perhaps, perhaps traffic changes later on in the year, the traffic changes and people from a different marketing channel um, don't appreciate your new tested experience as much um, there's all sorts of things that should happen so that can happen so just acknowledge that when you are making um, long um, long into the future projections of the impact of the stuff you've done um, that that's yeah it's not all set in stone um, one thing we like to do uh, we, obviously it's important um, in that vein to to kind of have an idea of how much money <laughs> overall you your initiatives have, created for the for the your company organization uh, incrementally um, but the other question though is like all right we know how much extra money we've made uh, that's uh, valuable information to know where budget should go and all that sort of stuff but how do we make even more of that money through optimization and um, so one thing to look at there is what KPIs you can put in place that are a bit 
higher in the funnel, so to speak, than just how much incremental money you've made, um, and put those KPIs in place around the program as a whole. So you could be looking at velocity, for example, which is a very popular optimization KPI. Um, it, and that's the number of experiments you run on average within a given time period, like a month. So, hey, our velocity in February was 10. We managed to launch 10 experiments. Um, in April, it's 15. Um, so all else equal, quality of the ideas and so on, that's a positive thing to grow that velocity. You can look at things as well like defect rate. So what percentage of activities that were sent to quality assurance got returned um, without receiving the tick of approval? Uh, if you can minimize the amount of rework that's required there, that's obviously a positive thing. Uh, you could be measuring how long it takes for an experiment to pass through each step in your process and work out if it's possible to address any of those bottlenecks um, by working with the people involved. Um, and yeah, we'd suggest that as well as um, obviously the more regular standups that you're having, that as a team, you should be reviewing these program level KPIs on a pretty regular basis um, as part of your retrospective process or whatever, so that you can agree on what actions to take in the future. Um, so yeah, by all means, try and um, get an indication of how much more money you've made for your organization, but also, um, and very importantly, try and understand um, what levers you can you can turn and so on to um, to make even more of that money in the future. Okay, thank you, Doug. I mean, in terms of um, well, I'd like to squeeze in actually one final question actually because you got you got me thinking in terms of you know measuring the outcome in terms of of revenue are you are you uh, tracking that within something like an analytics program or use some sort of your recommendation use some sort of bi tool just curious if there's a best practice for tracking you know you know how to track the revenue being generated yeah so um it's unlikely that your testing tool will give you the ability to track the impact of your program as a whole I think that optimizely might have made some steps in that direction, but um, it's not a feature of all enterprise products like Adobe Target, for example, doesn't have anything like that. Um, so it really would be um, probably a pretty manual process of um, of actually compiling the um, the results of each activity, doing the math and and distributing that by whatever um, kind of knowledge management platform you're using for the program. I guess the, the one exception, which is um, getting into the weeds a little bit, um, but I'll do it anyway, because I'm sure there's some optimization nerds that are listening, <laughs> is um, the, the really accurate way to know how much money your optimization program has made is to have some percentage of your website audience that never see any tests whatsoever, that continue to see the old experience from before you even started the optimization program in the first place, and look at the relative performance or amount of money that you're making from that audience group um, versus from the audience group who are actually being exposed to tests. Um, and if you can put something like that in place, then you might have a shot at um, like automatically calculating the return on investment from your program. But otherwise, it's going to be a pretty um, pretty manual process to kind of compile those results. Okay, interested. Well, f thank you very much, Doug. Um, I mean, that brings us to the end of today's episode. So firstly, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today, Doug. Very, I enjoyed that a lot. Been a pleasure. I would uh, talk about optimization anytime, anyplace. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure uh, we'll, we'll, we'll bring you back to do another episode on, on optimization and perhaps a, a different uh, aspect of it uh, in the future. So thank you very much and uh, look forward to our next episode. So bye bye.